of a lighthouse on top of a cliff. And of course, it's overlooking the ocean. And below, beneath, you know, the bottom of the cliff, you can see the waves pounding against the rocks and the boulders. And it also has some steps leading from the base of the cliff all the way up to the top to the lighthouse and a quaint, I don't call it a stone cottage or house that's nestled among the trees in the background, all depicting a quiet, secluded, peaceful setting. And the interesting thing about, I bring this up because with Thomas Kincaid, Kincaid paintings, now if you think I'm really into the arts, I'm not. That's the only one we have in the house that you can say, well, that came from Thomas Kincaid or whatever. Ever been to somebody? I'm going, I'm wandering. I, I'm going to say it anyway with that. And, and that is we were in Arizona and, and visiting an old high school classmate of mine who became a doctor, obviously a very wealthy doctor. They live in Scottsdale. All that, so we go there, and for about forty-five minutes, we had a tour of all the artsies in the house. Not to not to put them down, but but that's not me. So I'm not saying we have all these great, you know, you know, expensive artwork in our house. We don't. But anyway, with Kincaid, the thing about his his work is that below our painting, you'll find a scripture, which is very typical of a Kincaid work, his art, because every art piece he would do, major pieces, to convey the mood of the artwork, he always tried to connect a, a scripture reference to that work, to that mood. And for us, ours was uh, Numbers uh, chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. I'm going to read them, read this verse for you, these verses. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The artist connected this peaceful, serene setting to the blessings and peace that comes from God's favor. But that certainly was not the case for Jeremiah. As he described the scene in Lamentations chapter 3. And these verses build, if you read Lamentations chapter 3, it builds like a uh, crescendo. It begins with desolation. He is pleading. He is sorrowful for what's happened to Jerusalem. And then he moves slowly into, into discovering God's faithfulness, you know, hope in Christ, in prayer, I should say, both in Christ and prayer. Now, we want to look at the middle verses here. I mean, it's, there's about 60-some verses in, in Lamentations 3. We're going to look at, be looking at the middle verses here and, uh, and really kind of break them down a little bit and what, what, what is happening. We, re, we need to remember that Jeremiah was not only dwelling on his own sorrow, but he was also dwelling on the sorrow of his people. This man is in deep, deep sorrow for himself and his people. Now he lifts his eyes to God in the midst of his what? In the midst of his pain. 
So I'm going to look at kind of three promises that we can count on today. The first one is God's love and mercy will never fail. God's love and mercy will never fail from Lamentations 21 through 24. Verse 21, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. So remembrance can bring comfort. Jeremiah's once sorrowful heart now turns to God's compassion. He says in really in the latter part of verse 21, and therefore I hope. 22, because of God's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. Jeremiah really was doing a 360 here. Instead of remembering the bitterness and judgment, he turns to the faithfulness of God's love. We need to see that in our world and our lives today. You know, it's amazing. I think I was telling Chris and Sue, just talking a little bit, you know, sometimes we think as Christians that life's always going to be fine and dandy. Not going to be a problem. Everything should, uh, should go smoothly, which is not true. And the Bible does it, it speaks to that as well. But sometimes people get the mistaken idea that because you are a Christian, you should not have problems. Quite frankly, I think perhaps we have more problems than the average person. I don't know. Joe, I'm just saying that. But anyway, verse 23, he says, they, he's referring to faithfulness, God's faith. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wasn't there a, an old hymn? Great is, it, great is thy faithfulness. God's compassion and faithfulness are new every day. How does his faithfulness affect us? That is the key question for all of us. When we go through our trials and struggles, do you recognize and sense God's faithfulness in your life? His faithfulness gives us confidence. It should give us confidence in the midst of whatever we are going through, whatever it is for you. How many of you right now are going through some issues? And that doesn't mean major issues. It can be just, just everyday stuff. You know, I think, well, I think of Sue. Sue says, who, me? Well, today, they're having a big uh, going-away party for her parents. Maria and Leo are moving to Oklahoma. So for Sue, I'm sure it's bittersweet. You know, it's, it's, but she's going to be missing her parents. That in itself can be a struggle. So our struggles don't have to necessarily be major things, but sometimes these everyday mundane things can just get us down. But in God's faithfulness, we have confidence that he can get us through all things if we just hang in there and wait. God's faithfulness gives us strength and courage to overcome the trials and temptations. We all have temptations, don't we? I think the more that you're in Christ, the more those temptations, well, Satan will try to get in there and kind of mess us up. But we need to always go back to God's faithfulness. I know for some of you that's like, I'm preaching to the choir, but my goodness, it's new every day. We need to be, I need to be reminded every day of God's faithfulness. And I've been a Christian a lot longer than you guys have because I'm older, you know. And I've learned through the years how important it is to reflect back on God's faithfulness, what he's done in my life. God's faithfulness, I love this one. 
because I needed this one this week. God's faithfulness quiets our fears. God's faithfulness quiets our doubts. God's faithfulness quiets our anxieties. I called on his faithfulness this week. Thank you, Lord. He always comes through. And lastly, God's faithfulness gives us grace, peace, and hope. Verse 24. I said to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Now, how can I say this? I want you to take this the right way. A couple weeks ago, we had a birthday, not a birthday, a a graduation celebration for my grandson. So all the family was there on both sides. And my son-in-law, Scott, his brother-in-law from the Farley side, his name is Jeff Rowe. You can probably get on the internet and look up Pioneer, whatever, corporation, and Jeff Rowe. Jeff Rowe probably, arguably, was one of the most successful students ever come out of Princeton High School, just based on his, what he's done after high school. Became a lawyer, and then got his degree in business and marketing. Jeff, through the years, last time I saw Jeff Rowe was when he was in high school playing sports, and, that was, and I saw him just a couple weeks ago. But Scott always keeps me informed about his success. The guy is a multimillionaire. He's gobbling land in, around Bureau County in Princeton because he's a farm boy. He was raised in a farm. He loves the farm. So you got this guy who is now is, from what I understand, that he, they moved to Switzerland, second time moving to Switzerland, because they're grooming him to be the CEO of Europe, really, basically. So I thought, this is a great opportunity. And, and you see, and, and the family, they're not really into the church. I thought, hmm. I said, Jeff, Jeff, good to see you, you know. We're talking between hamburgers and hot dogs and whatever. And I thought, this might be a great opportunity to do some kind of witnessing to him. Because I had the platform because he knew me as the, as the pastor back in the day. So I started talking, nice, delightful young man. Well, younger man. Any, anybody under, under 60 to me is young. You're infants, whatever. Anyway, and I said, hey, how's it going, Jeff? You know, all the small talk stuff. And uh, so I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm working this. I'm thinking, okay, now how do I get in my shots about the faith? How do I do that with Jeff? So we're talking, and one thing really led to another. We start talking about, about finances, whatever, and I said, well... Jeff, I said, you know, I said, I once heard this saying that, you know, you'll never see a U-Haul trailer, you know, behind a hearse going to the cemetery. He thought that was hysterical. So I was hoping that he would get the message that it's not just about the stuff that we, how successful we are in this world. You see, there's no doubt that there's nothing wrong, you know, land, wealth, power, you know, can bring, I say this, 
can bring a measure of financial, temporal financial success, comfort, prestige, etc. Now we get to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the portion Jeremiah was talking about is a little bit different. It reveals a God who supplies everlasting, genuine security. See, sometimes we forget that. We forget that part. Because this world we live in, there's so much affluence, it is so difficult. I think that's one of the reasons why in our Western civilization that God has been put so far back because people feel they don't need God. They have all the money that they need. They have all the prestige that they, that they need. They don't need God unless there is an emergency. Jesus talked about this. He really talked about finances and money. I'm all for it. I'm not against that. Neither was Jesus. He just said, it's what you do with it. If you make that money and you're God, then you are wrong. Does that make any sense to me? That, really, am I talking too fast? Thank you for the amen. Did it come from the balcony? Or is, there, is there an angel back there? Amazing. So anyway, um, so Jeremiah is telling us, I believe, regardless of our struggles, God never stops being God. It does not matter how much money you've got in your bank account. God never stops being God. And you cannot stop God from being God. Throughout this message, I mean, they're talking about our friends, the Petrellis. We just lost our Sandy. And uh, they fit in that category of being the wealthy in Naperville. But that couldn't stop her dementia. All the money that they have, all that cannot stop nature and sin, what sin does in a fallen world. That's why, my friends, my brothers and sisters, we cannot just depend on our stuff and think that's going to give us all the security we'll ever need in life. That is wrong, 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 because at the end of the day, we cannot take it with us. We're going to go to Jesus just kind of way we came in. We're going to be naked from, we can't say, well, look at all, that's another story. I won't, I won't get into that. So, We can always count on God. He's in, on call 24 hours a day. Amen? Amen? Let's get to number two. I'm getting excited back about number two because we're getting into number three. And that's where I really want to be in this. Waiting is not a bad thing. 25 through 27, verse 25. The Lord is good to those whose hope or, depending on your translation, some would say, who wait on him. But mine says the Lord is good for those who, who hope it, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. The hope we have is that God does not cause suffering for the sake of suffering. God does not get his kicks out of our pain. And sometimes people say, well, I can't trust God because he allowed this to happen. He allowed that to happen. That's not our God. He doesn't give us grief just to say, I'm going to make Chris, let's take Chris's hogs and let's just kill them all. I just want to see Chris squirm over his hogs. Is that God? No, 
That's not what God does. We need to understand his love and his grace and faithfulness. But suffering has a purpose. When we go through our stuff, when you go through your stuff, God can use it for his glory. There's a purpose behind it. So when we go through our stuff, I automatically think to myself, God, okay, what is the purpose behind this? Why is this happening? Can you give us some revelation about this situation? Verses 26 and 27. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Jeremiah uses the word good in both passages here to emphasize that God is good to those who wait patiently for him in their struggles. That gives us, that he gives us strength to, do, to bear up. The yoke here is referring to either God's discipline when, we're, when our burdens are so heavy that, that we cannot give up. He gives us the strength to, to bear up and to overcome. And then, I like to listen, to endure is to know that God's salvation is our ultimate restoration. Everything that we do, we are here today because of Jesus on the cross. We are here today because he was resurrected. Amen? If that's not true, I don't think any of us would be here. That's a fact. Everything rests, our restoration rests, our ultimate restoration rests on his salvation. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Salvation. That's why Jesus came to restore us. Amen? Amen? Okay. So to wait on the Lord is to trust in his deliverance. I will wait upon him in my issues because I can trust that he's going to deliver me. No matter what that looks like, I don't know. But I do know that he knows what's best for me, that he's going to deliver me from all my afflictions in some way, shape, or form. He will do that. Do we believe it? Just pastor's words. Do we believe it? Sometimes the only, you know, sometimes God will put us through the paces to test us. To test us. It's so easy for anybody, any pastor, any person to talk all these great words about Jesus and love or whatever, but when going gets tough, where's the faith? That's what I look for. I look for that. I've heard a lot of great things saying about Jesus, a lot of, a lot of words, whatever, but if I don't see it in their, in their actions, mm, that just doesn't bode well with me. Anyway, but I'm glad that's not you guys. Okay. I can see we're not going anywhere with this one. But now we're going to live you up. We're going to do the last one as our final chapter is being written. Number three, our final chapter is being written. Looking at verses 31 through 33. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone.
I don't know what kind of vibes I'm getting here, but it's like, really? Where's he going with all of this? I, I rarely go to cemeteries. Not because I think one day I'm going to spend eternity on this side of heaven in one of them, but I never go. I rarely, I shouldn't say rarely, I rarely, rarely go. I rarely go to my daughter's grave site in St. Charles. Not because I am fearful, not because I get overwhelmed with grief. It's because the final chapter of her life has been written. She's in her glory. Now, for people that want to go to the cemeteries and, and remember a loved one, that's great. I'm not saying don't go. If God wants you to be there and you feel you need to be, go to the cemetery, by all means. I'm just saying this is for me. This for me. We've never felt that urge to go back because we know that she's, her soul isn't there. It's with her Lord. So that's how we look at it. Now, do we say to our family, no, don't go? No, we don't say that. My granddaughter wanted to visit eight years ago or seven. Leah, she wanted to go to, go to see the gravesite of her aunt, her late aunt. And Leah's middle name's named after her great aunt. So I said, okay, I'll take you. I wanted to be with there with her because I wanted, I wanted to see how she was doing. And I wanted to see the spirit of the spiritual perspective of what was going on here. And I also wanted her to see my reaction. And so we went. She dusts off, you know, the stone and tidies things up around there. She's very reverent, watching where she walked, what she did. And, I was, and so I was talking to her as she was doing this because I didn't want her to create fear in her heart about what was going on here. Friends, we don't know all the details about our lives because our chapter is being written. As we speak, our chapter is being written. But sometimes, sometimes God uh, allows us, gives us insights on some of the tears behind, you know, some of the struggles behind our tears. We just lost a good friend. It was Jan's mentor, my mentor really as well, but more Jan's. She's the one that led us to Christ. We talked about having mentors, you know, and we know if you have a mentor, you know what I'm talking about, how important it is and how important they are to you. Sandy was everything to us back in those days because she's the one first that brought Jan into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And from that, it snowballed to me to other and other people around us. It was like God suddenly took off and it was almost like, like an axe experience. Pentecost all over again. We had women's, they, they started a women's prayer group and and God is manifesting one miracle after another after another 
and it was flowing, it was flowing, but Sandy always gave it balance. She always gave us balance. And why I bring this up, because it's important for God's purposes and what he does with them in our lives. We had at her funeral on Thursday, one of Sandy, uh, her, her uh, daughter-in-law, came up to Jan and said, whenever I pray, she said, I, I hold my hands like in front of me, I palm my hands up. And she said, I got that from you, Jan, that when, when you prayed years ago, I saw that you had your, your hands, your palms were facing up. Why is that? And Jan said, it's because when I pray, I want to be open to receive all that Christ has for me. And she said that so touched her, and that's how she prays. And, and uh, Jan told her she got that from Sandy Petrell. So what I'm saying here is that not about, this is not about Danny or Jan or whatever, but my point's coming here. So at her funeral, I did the eulogy. And, but before that, Sandy's son, David, who's also a pastor, came up to us and said to Jan, we're going to do some sharing. If anybody wants, could you kick it off? You know, so people will, you know, feel more comfortable. And so Jan said, okay. So we sang whatever, and then it came time for sharing. And we were up toward the front of the church because I had to be up there with by the pulpit. And so Jan is up there with the microphone. You all would have been so proud of her. So proud of her. I, I rarely get, well, I can't stand that either. I, 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 I teared up because her, her witness was so profound. I wish you could have been there to hear how she paid tribute to her best friend, her mentor, her prayer partner. Every Monday morning, they're on the phone. They're talking about their day or their week, what's going on, and, and more. And I bring all of this up, all these little details, because it is so, so important for us to see that sometimes God takes our struggles what he does and he brings people and situations into our lives and and sometimes we don't know the reason why until maybe perhaps years later or it could be weeks and so when I was forming this message I thought of, of, of our friend Sandy Petrelli I said you know Sandy was the one that started it all off and we now we know we understand why God put us through the struggles, but also why he put her in our lives at that particular time. Because he used her to prepare us for what was to come. God will do that because he's so, so good. God is so compassionate that he won't just dump things on us and say, you figure it out yourself. That's not our God. Amen and amen. So, God can use our trials as a means, as a means of 
transforming our spiritual growth, to correct us, to discipline us for his glory and our good. No matter what you are going through, rather than to blame God and get angry at God, praise him, praise him because he has got something good for you. He's got something for you. He's going to bring you out of that and make you stronger in him. So one day, someone might come up to you with their struggles and you can share with them your testimony. I'm giving this to you, my testimony, because we know it. Susan and Ron, we know it. We've lost a child. And I'm going to tell you, I've lost mothers, I've lost my dad. Nothing is worse than losing a child. It is just gut-wrenching. But when we trust in God, He will pull you through it. He will make you stronger for it in every area, every aspect of your life. Our lives are built around that moment of her death and how God lifted us up. And we could praise him in that moment. Not because we are, per we are far, and Sandy Patelli, far from perfect, but we just wanted to open our hearts to God and what he'd have for us. We wanted to humble ourselves before him because we knew we couldn't do it. And that's all of us here today, no matter what we are going through, we need to learn to humble ourselves before him, to open up our hearts and allow him to come in and heal, direct, correct, encourage, empower. That's what he does. And it doesn't change from a young man, which I was in those days, to an older man. It doesn't change. He doesn't change. That's what he does. I'm here today to encourage you. No matter what it is for you, it could be something very little, maybe something big, something real big. Trust in your Lord. Trust in him. Lay before the cross. Lay before the cross and let him deal. God, I can't deal with it. I'm giving it to you. I heard that from my wife years ago. God, I cannot deal with this. I can't deal with this. I can't deal with the pain. I can't deal with it. I'm giving it to you. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. Reaching every one of us. You don't have to go through the really, really bad, bad stuff to experience God's grace and mercy in your life. What we all have issues. Whatever is for you, just bring it before Him. And one last thing I want to say that Jesus' salvation is the straw, the straw that stirs the ingredients that go into His drink of life. What are the ingredients? Love, grace, joy, peace, mercy, faithfulness, discipline. All of the ingredients that, that he stirs up into, the, into his drink. And then after he stirs it up, then what does he say to us? He says, drink it. Drink it. Whatever it is for you, 
what you're going through, drink it. Drink it now. Don't wait. Drink it now. Because that is your spiritual thirst quencher. I'm the bread of life. Anybody is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Jesus' own words. Drink of it. He's giving you the ingredients. He's mixed it in there. And that divine blender says, now it's yours. Drink of it. And be blessed. And be strengthened. Jesus, we just praise you and thank you for who you are. And I pray, Lord, that all of us here can drink. Can drink of that divine drink because you put in there all the ingredients we'll ever need to handle any and every situation that comes into our lives. For Jesus, you are the giver of life. You are the sustainer of life. We praise and thank you, Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you, Lord, for that. And as, as time moves on for all of us, and the pages of our final chapter are being filled, we know that each and every day, in every detail, that you never stop being God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, our Heavenly Father. You are the absolute best. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us? <laughs>